Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and I'm very excited to be speaking to you from the U.S. News STEM Solutions Workforce of Tomorrow Conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. This is our first episode out in the field, and I'm glad to have two great experts with me to discuss the importance of bridging the gap at work and ensuring underrepresented groups receive equal opportunities, pay, and advancement. My co-host for this episode is U.S. News careers reporter Rebecca Koenig. Rebecca, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And our guest is Rosanna Duruthi, LinkedIn's Head of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging. Thank you for taking time out of your day to share your expertise. Thank you, Antonio. Great to be with you and Becky. So for some background, uh, the Workforce of Tomorrow conference examines how executives, policymakers, consumers, and others are working together to improve education and workforce development to meet the labor needs of today's and tomorrow's employees. And so you just wrapped up a panel session on bridging the gap and, and developing a diverse talent pool. So how, how was the session? I thought it was a great session. Certainly, uh, my colleagues on the panel, I think, were illuminating, and it was an engaged discussion that highlighted both um, the various gaps associated with today's environment around how people enter the field of technology, particularly for women in underrepresented groups, and things that we can do to close those gaps. So I, I do want to get into more of the specifics of the panel and the larger discussion on bridging the gap. But first, I want to ask you a little bit about your background. Uh, how did your career trajectory lead you to becoming LinkedIn's head of global diversity? So I think uh, it hasn't been a continuous line between two points, uh, for sure. Uh, I went to college at 16, dropped out uh, before I was 17, found my way into the corporate world as a result of working for a nonprofit organization where I was involved with helping people transition from public assistance to the work environment, so a skill-building environment. And in so doing, I found that over a 30-plus year career, I've worked in environments where the biggest challenge for companies is not only how to identify talent that doesn't look like what already exists in the environment, but how do you effectively build relationships of trust in the work environment where your employees experience a community and the capability to thrive. And there are many elements associated with that, you know, the ability to engage employees, the ability to help them see what's missing in their own skill set to grow. Um, I've worked in financial services, media and entertainment, and insurance, and had my own consulting practice for eight years. So in many ways, coming to LinkedIn was about my dream job, coming to an environment where I not only engage in the work of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, as we term it, but also in the work of helping bridge a network gap that exists for so many, and that's the gap in the network that often yields opportunities, the kind of opportunity that leads to greater economic stability and growth for communities and families. So that's my work today, and I love doing what I do. Um, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about your responsibilities as the chief diversity officer. We're seeing more and more companies kind of um, hire someone to do, to do that work. And I'm interested, beyond what you do, um, how does LinkedIn work to further diversity and inclusion within the company? Sure. So first, my role really lends itself to how we create an environment that represents the members on our platform. So how do we ensure the inclusion not only of women in technology and women in leadership, but underrepresented groups in the United States, blacks and Latinos, LGBT, people with disabilities, um, but also, how are we creating an environment where that talent thrives? On the platform itself, how do we create not only security for our members, 
but really help realize LinkedIn's vision of creating economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. In this role, I get to work in partnership with our product organization to understand not only how our members are utilizing the platform, but how do we work as well with our customers to help them identify diverse talent. Um, some of that comes in the work that we're doing building insights through our Gender Insights report, which uh, was recently released, that really gives a really great narrative in what we're learning from all of the data that, that we're able to um, decipher relating to the behaviors and practices of our members on the platform. Um, a great example of that would be how much less likely it is for a woman to apply for a job if she doesn't have all of the skills identified in the job description. And what our data tells us is that a woman is likely to apply if she has 100% of the required skills, where a man is likely to apply for the job if he has 60% of the required skills. So we see that the gap that exists in how um, communities may perceive their access or reach for opportunity is one that we can continue to help solve for. So once you so acquire that data and analyze and understand these gaps that you spoke with, how, how do you then transition that information and give that information to the users of LinkedIn? You know, for our customers, a uh, way in which they're able to access this data is looking at what the available talent pool is in their marketplace and to have a better understanding of how they build equitable practices that lead to things like um, gender balance and gender parity. Um, research tells us that most companies rely on employee referrals as the primary means for hiring talent, which is great. We hire people that we know our own employees trust. But if an organization already has representation that demonstrates a lack of representation of either women or underrepresented groups, the referral process is likely to reinforce the very imbalance in the workforce representation that organization may be seeking to accomplish. So we're able to use tools like the Gender Insights Reports to really help employers understand what they can do differently that will enable members to have better access to opportunity. You know, paying attention to not only an employee referral process as a means of obtaining candidates, but also sourcing talent to ensure inclusion of diverse talent in the candidate pipeline. Um, recognizing that because a woman is less likely to seek a referral for a job opportunity, what, what recruiters can do to recognize their own bias and reach more deeply into the pipeline to identify women as candidates for available opportunities. Um, you mention that women uh, may be less likely to seek referrals and maybe the networks are not, not there to serve them so well. And I'm interested to know what signs and signals you recommend women, underrepresented minorities, other job seekers look for to figure out whether this is an environment that's going to support them? Uh, is it something, I know we've heard the term with the Me Too movement, you know, whisper networks. Is this how people are getting information? Are there other ways you think people can kind of get clues as to what they should look for? You know, certainly people will get clues through what they're reading in the media, through the people they're connected to on a platform from LinkedIn who may be working for a company. But I think there are things companies can do effectively to share their story and to demonstrate their commitment to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Examples of that would be featuring stories in the voices of women in underrepresented groups 
um, in leadership in their organization, having them share what the culture is like, what the environment is like, how they're creating success for themselves and for their communities in an environment like that. I think it's a really important vehicle that companies have, whether it's leveraging their company page on LinkedIn or finding ways to share the narrative of how they welcome diverse talent into the environment and examples of how that talent thrives. What are some of the obstacles for those companies to improve, I, I want to say diversity and inclusion, because I think those are two different things. So how, how does a company go about achieving those two different Antonio, needs? I think that's a really great call out because they often get collapsed. So diversity is the representation of different groups. Inclusion is the action or behavior to invite people into the room. And I'd go one step further and say belonging is actually the experience created for the individual, the outcome of feeling welcomed, appreciated, and valued in that environment. If we think about diversity, for certain industries, certainly in the technology industry, there is a skills deficit that may exist around engineering as one example, where we don't see enough women or underrepresented groups entering STEM professions. But I would also say there's a real gap in the awareness of those opportunities. If we think about uh, communities like the Black and Latino community, often an individual will grow up like many of us and not only be educated and pursue a career, but in going to school and pursuing a career is often based on the influence of the people in their lives already. So if I don't know someone who works for a tech company, if I don't know someone who's an engineer, it's less likely that I'll actually endeavor to build a skill set to pursue a profession that I have no knowledge of and I don't have a network that provides access uh, for me to. I think the other piece to that is we see people come into the industry and if they don't see themselves reflected in the leadership of organizations, it deflates the confidence that they too will have an opportunity to rise and build a successful career in the environment. So we have to be intentional in organizations where we provide mentors and sponsors. And we help individuals understand how to identify mentors and sponsors for themselves so that they not only have a better understanding of how to navigate the environment, but also an understanding of how they're being mindful of the deployment of their skills, the kinds of projects that they're working on that enable them to build a portfolio of their capability, their aptitude, as well as a demonstration of the attitude they have that enables so many of us to succeed in, in the things we do. We've heard from researchers, we've seen examples of workers not feeling um, represented by company diversity initiatives, and we know that some employees even go so far as to resist them and say, um, I don't see why we need to do this. This has nothing to do with work or, you know, giving giving more opportunities to people who aren't like me is going to hurt me as a worker. So I'm curious how you and other corporate leaders deal with skepticism within an organization. When when someone has your job title, I imagine there might be someone who is immediately put off by that. And I'm curious how you deal with it. And Becky, I'd say over the course of my career, there have been a few people who haven't quite understood why that's important. I always think of this work as a head, heart, and hands phenomenon. Um, the head part will tell me that diverse teams win. Companies that have diversity in gender at leadership levels as well as diversity in the composition of underrepresented groups and leadership levels tend to be more productive, tend to be more profitable, and they generate greater revenue. 
And so the head part tells me there is a business rationale for doing this. The heart part tells me that as human beings, we all want to feel that we belong in the environment. And the distinction of belonging becomes really important when an individual can see that they not only are a part of an environment, but they have the ability to make a contribution that makes a difference in the environment. It also speaks to the fact that as we have multiple generations in the workforce, the ability to value the skills and talents of individuals not only enables them to feel like they can make a meaningful contribution, but can be more satisfied with the experience. And then lastly, what I would say, the hands part of the equation is really about if we think about how businesses operate today and we think about how the majority of our workforce in the United States today, um, the entering workforce, consists of women and underrepresented groups. In reality, it's going to be very hard for companies to be competitive and for leaders to lead effectively and grow their businesses if they lack the cultural competence and cultural humility to lead diverse teams effectively and actually inspire their talent and bring out the best in their talent. So perhaps 20 years ago, those who wanted to sit on the sidelines or presume that diversity is about women and underrepresented groups alone might have had some reason to sit on their hands and do nothing. In today's environment, this is a core skill set for any leader. And I would actually premise that companies that fail to understand that will not only lose in the marketplace, but they'll fail to attract the talent they need to succeed in the marketplace. Can you explain how the size of a company dictates how they can enact improvements? I mean, what does a small company of, of 25 employees need to do differently from a company that has hundreds or even thousands of employees? I mean, I think it's a really good question. If we think about even the startup concept, all too frequently startups um, begin with an individual who brings their friends into the business. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. The relationships we have and we value are the relationships we have and value. The challenge is that if, as that business grows over time, the lack of diversity represented in that business may, may actually result in the business not being capable to generate the kind of growth for customer markets um, that, are, that are desired, may lack the diversity of thought that's necessary to see disruptive trends that exist in the marketplace and actually creates the risk for a business that the echo chamber that's created by people who have access to the same information at the same time, the same ideas and the same thinking, really lack the ability to understand the market that they're navigating in, whether it's a local domestic market in a country or a broader emerging market that also exists um, over time. And so healthy growth for an organization the ability to create healthy cultures, the ability to generate innovation and to thrive in large measure is premised on the idea that diversity creates the what's next for a company to successfully move from one level of success to the next level of success continuously. Now I'm going to ask this question to both of you. Where does where do federal and state governments fall into this discussion? Are we miles away from legislative changes to bridge the gap in terms of pay, in terms of hiring, or other positive signs in the not-too-distant future? I think government plays an important role, but we can't rely on government to solve this problem. Right. I think companies have a mandate that orients around creating not only shareholder value, but creating 
engaged employees. The cost of turnover is high. The cost of disengage, a disengaged workforce is one that few companies can, can afford. And as such, the companies that win in the marketplace and the ability to command and attract the best talent are the companies that are going to lead in recognizing that they have to create an environment where people genuinely feel they can thrive, where they're going to develop the skills that are not only relevant for the present, but have access to the knowledge to create new skills and continue to reinvent themselves for the future. If we look back 40 years ago, people worked in careers where they could work for the same company for 40 years and retire with the gold watch or, you know, the clock. We don't see that very much anymore. And that's really just one example of, of how much the environment has changed and how companies, in order to remain competitive, have to be in, in capable of attracting great talent, but also recognizing that talent comes in different packages. And I would say that uh, in terms of government and company, we see pressure from both directions in terms of making change. Um, for example, the House of Representatives just passed uh, proposed legislation, the Equality Act, to protect workers in the LGBTQ community, um, which are not who are not currently protected to the same degree that some other groups are under federal law. Um, but we've seen pressure from companies on state governments in in places where. Um, members of that community have not had equal rights. Companies have kind of exerted their power as well and put economic pressure to say, you know, we're not going to have a headquarters somewhere that our workers are not going to feel safe. So I think it's a really interesting push and pull from companies and from legislators um, on a variety of these of these issues related to diversity. You know, creating an environment where people feel psychologically safe and free to be their productive best selves is wonderful at work. But if you have employees who still have to worry about financial security, the ability to rent or purchase a home or to obtain credit because there aren't protections, or worse still, that their physical safety and psychological safety is harmed because of the kind of legislation that exists that would prevent them from having access to equal opportunities, you've got big issues. And I think companies will continue to press this, recognizing that attracting great talent means standing up for that talent as well. Um, kind of changing topic a little bit, we're starting to see companies use artificial intelligence tools like chatbots and algorithms in the recruitment and hiring process. Uh, especially at LinkedIn, I'm interested to know what implications you think these techniques will have on workplace diversity and inclusion. We certainly recognize that access to opportunity is not equal for everyone. And we work closely with our product and engineering organization, recognizing that AI is going to be an amazing way for employers to more effectively identify talent and for individuals to be able to identify their dream jobs but we also have to recognize unintended consequences that occur when individuals aren't aware or understanding of the different lives that we lead and the challenges that may exist um, to opportunity. And so it's a conversation that we have. It's a conversation that exists ongoingly. It's one of the things that makes it imperative for us to attract greater diversity as well in our, across our organization. But when we think about the design of products, when we think about you know the coding 
that supports that design. It really becomes important to continue pressing for how we attract great talent. Can you name some companies that you think have done a great job of furthering diversity and inclusion and are reaping cultural, financial, and or other benefits? I mean, what are positive cases to share with other companies that, you know, hey, not only is this important in its own right, but look at what it can do to your company's success? Well, over the last decade, McKinsey has engaged in a number of studies, both looking at the representation of women in leadership uh, across a series of companies, many of them Fortune 500 companies, and how they've outperformed in profitability and in revenue generation. And similarly, for companies that have greater representation of underrepresented groups. Um, the list is not as short as one would think. There are in particular companies that I would name at this time, but I think the research continuously shows that companies that have greater diversity prove to be more resilient in a marketplace of uncertainty. On the panel, uh, the word allyship was mentioned, and I'm interested to know how workers who already fit into the dominant group at their workplace can support colleagues who don't. So one of the things that we're doing at LinkedIn, we recently launched uh, an allyship academy. And the power of allyship is not just for dominant groups to assume a recognition of how they can contribute to an environment where their colleagues can, can be included and feel a greater sense of belonging. It actually corresponds for anyone who has the ability to experience privilege, whether that privilege is socioeconomic or educational privilege or you know, the privilege of level. And the idea here is really diversity isn't about women and people of color, people who are members of the LGBT community or disabled. Diversity is about each and every one of us. The power of allyship is an active power, however. It's not the passive, um, I'm okay with people who are different. It's the ability to stand up and be an advocate, an advocate for others. It's the individual who is willing to uh, right wrongs by speaking with their own peers and saying, you know, I heard you say something that seemed offensive and perhaps you didn't realize. Or it's the ability to intervene by calling a colleague aside and making them aware of ways in which they might have marginalized in an unintended manner and sometimes um, with, with intent, um, individuals who merit respect. Uh, as we close out here, I want to finish with a personal question. Um, we often talk about mentors, role models, or, or allies, as we just discussed, who help people reach their greatest potential. Uh, who's been someone in your life who helped raise you up to where you are now? Yeah, I've been fortunate. I've had really great people throughout my life. Um, it probably begins with a mom who always inspired me to be the best version of myself and always had the confidence that I could do anything. But I've been fortunate throughout the course of my career to have individuals who I didn't even recognize were mentors at the time who intervened and redirected my thinking about opportunities. You know, early in my career, in banking, I, I had a manager who convinced me I didn't want to go in one direction. I'd want to do a role as a generalist in human resources. When I was convinced, I didn't. And so sometimes the role of mentor is an individual who gives you advice you don't necessarily want to hear. Um, but as you think about it, it makes sense. And I've been fortunate to have many of them along the way. I can certainly say, you know, a more recent mentor and someone who's influenced my coming into 
the world of technology is Pat Waters, um, a leader who saw the possibility of creating diversity, inclusion, and belonging at LinkedIn as something that could make a difference not only for our employees but for our members as well. And you know, I'm thankful that you took a chance and thrilled to be a part of the leadership team uh, that Christina Hall and Jeff Weiner lead at LinkedIn in doing this work. Thank you very much for, for being here. Thank you much. Great you. speaking with you. And thank you to our listeners. For more careers-related advice, please go to money.usnews.com to read up on how to find a great job, how to nail the interview process, how to negotiate your salary, and even how to navigate office culture. If you have questions about jobs, salary, or office etiquette, please email us at wealthofknowledge@usnews.com, and we'll review some of them on our next careers episode. And please like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast so that we can get more careers-related advice to as many people as we can. For Wealth of Knowledge, from the Workforce of Tomorrow Conference, I'm Antonio Barbera. See you next week.